Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the biz, has partnered with Hooters to bring you the largest guaranteed rake-free contest lineup in the history of DFS, including the $1 million Hooters kickoff. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444, and you'll get a free 7-day trial membership. Do you want to join the biggest season-long tournament ever? Then you need to enter the $3.5 million Best Ball Championship on Draft with a grand prize of $1 million. Just search for Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit with promo code 444. Do you think you have what it takes? Then Draft today for a shot at the $1 million jackpot. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Most Accurate Podcast from 444 Football. Usually, Anthony Stalter is hosting. Uh, last week, he had a dentist appointment, and this week, he's out of town, so I'm not sure he's still with the company. I think he is. Uh, he'll be back uh, next week uh, for week one. Uh, we're going to record next Thursday. Uh, but I thought I'd have uh, one of my favorite people in the industry on the pod today, a real heavy hitter, uh, to just discuss the uh, latest happenings uh, before the final week of fantasy drafts. He's a novelist. He's a noted floor slapper. Uh, he's a <laughs> ya- Yahoo fantasy writer. And he's the president slash enforcer of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. His name is Andy Barons, and I'm happy to have him on the pod today. Welcome, Andy. Hey, it's good to be here. I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, it's it's always fun to do this show. Yeah, I think I like to have you on every August, so at least we can catch up once a year if I don't make it to the uh, FSTA uh, Fantasy Conference. So it's nice to talk to you. I, I got your I got all that information from your Twitter bio, and I hope that was. Hope that was a decent introduction for you. It's all currently accurate, except um, I was never really much of a floor slapper, especially yeah. at this point in my like pickup hoops career. I'm I'm not like I only have so much energy, and I'm not out there to defend. I'm out there to get buckets, John. Also, at, <laughs> at this age, at our age, you know, slapping the floor is a difficult proposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't want to throw out it's our back fraught. on the first play. Yeah. Um, since it's tight end week at 444, we're going to talk tight end straight. Tight end week. I can't yes. believe that tight end week has rolled around again. Look at this energy. Uh, this is great. Uh, we're going to talk tight end strategy today. I just got uh, all, these, all these Facebook memories about tight end weeks past. <laughs> what what good times. It's like Shark Week. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Except tight ends. But we're going to we're gonna dissect uh, Andrew Luck's retirement as well, Josh uh, Gordon's reinstatement, Duke Johnson's ascension. We're going to talk about some late risers and fallers in ADP and how to deal with them. And we're going to run down a few of the most divisive players this year. Uh, before we get started, I want to let the listeners know that the about the music that brought us in. It's a track called Song for the Soul by Kishi Bashi. Uh, it's actually not on Spotify, so you're going to have to find that one elsewhere. Uh, K-I-S-H-I-B-A-S-H-I-2. That's a that's a guy's name, Kishi Bashi. He used to play in of Montreal. He's a like a classically trained violinist. And I was listening to Same. his music. Same. You, Sam is. Oh, that's why. I, oh, that's a. That's a. That's kismet. 
<laughs> what a coincidence. Uh, another good track uh, by him, Can't Let It Go, Juno. Uh, you can see that, find that one on Spotify. He's also got a great cover of This Must Be The Place, which is one of the greatest songs of all time by uh, The Talking Heads. Uh, so check it out. You can find uh, the Most Extra Podcast uh, playlist on Spotify as well. Also, for those that play DFS, there's a promotion going on right now where listeners can get 25% off 444's DFS sub. Just go to my Twitter page at 444 underscore John and click on the link in the pinned tweet, then enter the code DFS25 when you purchase our DFS sub and you'll get 25% off. That expires August 31st, so get on it. All right, quick backstory on Andy. Listeners may be wondering why he's one of my favorite people in the industry. I always tell this story when he comes on, so you may have heard it before, (laughs) but I need to build up the legacy of Andy Barron's. Back in 2010, uh, when I first won the Fantasy Pro's Most Accurate Expert Award, sorry for the humble brag, I (laughs) quote-unquote... When I first won it, oh gosh. Yeah, it's rough. When I I dethroned Andy, actually, uh, quote-unquote dethroned, who won it the year before in 2009, so Andy is a Most Accurate Expert Award winner. He has that on his resume as well. I went to the Fantasy Sports Trade Association Conference in Vegas knowing no one uh, I was going there to, for the first time to pick up my award and didn't know anyone but Dave Kim, the uh, Fantasy Pros founder, who I had just chatted with an email. Uh, anyway, Dave introduced me to Andy, who has no reason at all at this point to, to be nice to me. Um, he's a Bears fan. <laughs> I'm a Packers fan. Uh, I just beat him in this accuracy contest, took his title away, his belt away. So he has no reason to be nice to me, but he is. Anyway, he takes me under his proverbial, proverbial wing and introduces me to everyone at the conference and made my experience a lot less uncomfortable than it might have been. Otherwise, as a guy just starting out in the industry at that point, this meant a lot to me, and I have tried to pay it forward when new analysts and writers reach out looking for advice or podcast appearance or whatever. So long story short, I try to be like Andy Barron's, and you should too. So I hope that's a good enough introduction there for you, Andy. Hey, it's a, like, that, I mean, that was me. It could have been anybody. Like, it's a, it's a super friendly industry, actually. With for the, the most part, yes, I would say. With the exception, that. with the notable exception of Matt Harmon, it is a really friendly industry. Speaking of Matt Harmon, we had him on last week. Uh, he did a fantastic job breaking down the wide receiver uh, position, and so you have a lot to live up to with this tight end strategy. It's literally uh, the only position he knows he can't even name a tight end. <laughs> He told me that he likes Justice Hill uh, as a running back sleeper. So that was a lucky guess. That was was one of his tidbits there. Um, So, so tight end strategy this year. I'm a tight end, a stud tight end advocate. Ever since the days of Antonio Gates in the third round PPR leagues, I used to gobble him up. It was those were the days where you can get the tight end one in the third round. Everybody thought you were crazy, (laughs) but I I loved it. Um, But I want one of those players from the first tier if I can get it. If I can't get them, I want Hunter Henry. And then I start to get annoyed if I don't get one of those four. <laughs> uh, then it's like Howard, O.J. Howard, uh, Evan Ingram, maybe Jared Cook, Vance McDonald, if he can stay healthy. If I don't get one of those guys, I start to get worried. Uh, how are you approaching the position this year? Yeah, we're actually not going to have a lot of disagreement here because um, I, I have generally felt like it's appropriate to take one of the big three tight ends uh, by the end of the second round. I've done that fairly often. Um, PPR is not my favorite format, but most of the drafts and auctions that I've had so far have been PPR. And I've, I've generally gone pretty hard after, in fact, I've got one league where I have both Kelsey and Kittle um, in a league in which we can start to like, I think it's one of the greatest single positional advantages that you can have uh, in our game this year is, is one of those uh, top tier tight ends i i suppose the places where i disagree a little bit are you you know the exact sequencing of that second tier Mm -hmm. um there's 
like I like OJ Howard a lot. Um, I like him in theory. The problem is he's become. I mean, he's just become like America's sleeper, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just there's just been somebody in every draft and auction who val- who seems to value him almost at the level of like Kittle and Ertz, and they're willing to just I don't know they're they're willing to take him earlier than I am willing to take him based on you know I, I, I like I like it when a guy has done it over a full season. Um, I like I I get the Bucks offense in theory and how explosive it could be. Um, there's a lot of mouths to feed, and and maybe the wrong guy trying to feed them. So um, I I just don't I don't have any OJ Howard shares yet, which which could certainly burn me. Um, but he's been that one guy from the second tier that I can't get. I fully agree with you on Henry. I think Henry is set up for a big year and a big red zone year. Um, I, I think that's a pretty fun offense that that maybe doesn't get buzzed about enough because we're not nobody's super enthusiastic about Rivers. Perhaps I have no idea, but I, I think Hunter Henry's a great value. I'm I'm big on Jared Cook, which is which is strange for me because um, I have a long history of not being as bullish on Jared Cook, especially early in his career when everyone was expecting him to pop and he just sort of never did. You know, he was like a sleeper for three or four years in a row. But um, love everything I've heard about that situation. Like it's it's also one of those deals where if you just sort of add up all the targets that went to tight ends in New Orleans last year, you're right around a hundred. And if we figure almost all of that goes to Cook. And, and maybe a little more because he's a, a competent receiver. I don't know. I think that guy's set up for a great year. Like, it's not going to surprise me a bit if Jared Cook finishes with uh, with 900 yards and seven or eight touchdowns, um, and that is surely a top-five tight end season. Yeah, I'm with you on Hunter Henry. He's my number four tight end, and I got him in the fifth round of my FFPC main event uh, draft, which I late fifth round, which we were – my corner and I were dancing around in our proverbial <laughs> living rooms, or I guess our respective living rooms. Um, I really like Hunter Henry. I think he can basically do what Gates did, uh, at least late prime Gates. Uh, and Howard, I'm with you on that as well. Uh, I guess we're not d- disagreeing. I, I like him. I don't have many shares because I'm usually taking Henry there. I'm usually taking uh, Evan Ingram there because I think he's going to have more volume. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Chance. Like, I don't, I don't separate Howard from like Cook and Henry, and and perhaps even yeah, Cook. I don't either. And because I don't separate them, I never get them. Yeah, and I actually have them lower than Henry, so I never, I almost never get Howard uh, for that reason. And then, so what do you make of Vance McDonald? Uh, you know, the talk about his, you know, snaps aren't going to rise much. I mean, I, I feel like with the the vacated targets there, 160 plus from Antonio Brown, that, and and then Jesse James also. Uh, being signed elsewhere, Detroit. Um, it just f- feels like his role has to get bigger, even if he's not like an every down player, which doesn't make sense anyway. You don't want him out there necessarily on the running downs anyway. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think he can. I think he can both. You know, there's obviously there's a path for him to finish as a top eight tight end. Um, I, I will say first of all, I think some of Brown's production just goes away. Like some of that is just he's one of the greatest receivers of all time, and. Maybe this isn't going to be a fifty-one hundred yard season for Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, he, like, they threw they threw it a lot last year, like a lot. Yeah, so some like, of that might dry up. Like maybe some of that just vanishes, and it doesn't. It's not as if all of that production gets redistributed to somebody else in the offense. Like maybe maybe four hundred yards just just goes away, um, right? And, and we don't we don't find it anywhere. Um, they have a bunch of fun receivers. I buy it when they say that they don't want to, I mean, man, this, this is a player who has dealt with uh, injuries of various sorts throughout his career. 
I totally buy it when they say they don't want to expose him to any more um, to any more risk. But I but I also agree with you in that when he's on the field, um, I, I would expect him to be targeted at a slightly higher rate. Um, and I think there's a pretty good chance that if if they can keep him healthy for like 14 games, that gets him to 700 yards. It might you know so much of of your final year-end rank at the tight end position comes down to how many touchdowns you score. Um, and mm-hmm. it's still going to be a productive offense, so I can easily – like six or seven touchdowns usually leads to a top eight uh, fantasy finish, right, as long as you're not, you know, a guy who's catching 30 balls. So um, I think that's very much in play for Vance McDonald. I'm like – I tip my cap to the people who draft him, like, as the fourth tight end off the board. I've seen that a few times. Mm. Um, I can't – I can't imagine that. Like that to me is a really low probability outcome, but top eight or top nine, sure. Yeah, he's he's going eight typically right after Cook, and I usually see him go after Cook. So those two pretty pretty closely go together. It seems like they're in a tier of their own, and there's a enough people that don't like Jared Cook that he's not in that Henry Howard Ingram yes. tier. It appears so. Uh, I'm with you on Cook as well. Um, I get him a lot. I'll just say, I, like yeah. if I if I happen to whiff on the top three tight ends, I almost invariably get Jared Cook. I have a couple of shares of Mark Andrews, who I think everybody is on at this point. But uh, but but Jared Cook is just the guy that I like. I I think it's really unlikely that he gives us less than 750 yards and like half a dozen touchdowns. I just think he's a good player, and, and Breeze is actually kind of quietly coming off one of the best seasons of his career. Yeah, I was a little bummed when the, the Packers let Cook walk and then signed Jimmy Graham. Like, in theory, that looks like an upgrade, but Cook, I think, at this point in both players' careers, is just way more explosive. And I think he showed that last year. Cook, man, that like I don't like to give a lot of praise to the Packers or anything the Packers <laughs> have ever done, but my God, that playoff catch that Cook made is still like yeah. vivid. In my and memory. there's Cowboy fans that are uh, turning off the podcast right now. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, all right, so let's say let's say we draft Vance McDonald, or we don't draft Vance McDonald. We want somebody that uh, could maybe step in for him if he's injured. Maybe you want a good backup. Do you have a, a top tight end value in the mid to late rounds that, that you like? I'll tell you somebody. Um, you know, one of the little advantages we have at Yahoo, obviously, is some um, ability to converse with like our NFL beat writers, right? And and I'll just tell you that Charles Robinson came away from uh, Jets camp super enthusiastic about Chris Herndon and the relationship that he has with Darnold. And obviously Herndon is uh, suspended for the early part of the year. And maybe it's not practical to not only draft a second tight end, but also to stash him for a month. I get it. I get it. But as like, as a name that you might be able to pluck in, uh, in October, just off the wire, or um, if you are in a deep bench league and you want to hold on to somebody, I think as soon as Herndon uh, joins the party, uh, he's going to be a thing. And, and that is based on just the enthusiasm of uh, reporters who've been around the team, what they've seen between uh, him and Darnold. And he's obviously free, um, and understandably so, again, because he's not going to be around in September. Yeah, and I would argue that it's okay to take two tight ends. If the second tight end serves a purpose, um, you don't have to just do a onesie in a onesie position just to be cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like to take a second tight end if they have upside or if they're in this case, if you have a Vance McDonald and maybe you're using a seventh, eighth rounder on him, uh, Herndon's going in the 13th and best ball league. So maybe he's going a little bit later and in, in redraft. I have no problem with taking both. If you have that upside, because you're also covering yourself on a McDonald a little bit, or if you just yeah. want to, um, grab Herndon and, and it's hard to trade. That's one thing. That's the one note on that is that you, 
it's very difficult to trade a onesie position. So if you, you're thinking you're going right. to draft a second quarterback or a tight end, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's hard. To, it's really hard to move them because everybody feels like they can make do with what they have, and they don't want to give up anything of value, which is usually a running back or wide receiver. So yeah, that's, it's like that's, having a second good quarterback this year. Like, yeah, good luck finding a trading partner for a quarterback. You're going to end up cutting him or just holding him for the yeah. whole time. But I would, I would like to surprise you with my favorite value in the mid rounds. Uh, I think Herndon's a great one, but Chicago. Trey Burton. Oh, why oh, is yeah, everybody why is everybody totally off of Trey Burton? He's going a lot later than I thought he would. He was the number eight tight end last year, but if you look at the games with your quarterback Mitch Trubisky, he was on pace to finish as the number six tight end in the fourteen games that Trubisky was active and played. He played at a fifty seven catch, six hundred and eighteen yards, seven touchdown pace in those games. As a Chicago fan, how do you feel about Trey Burton? Yeah, this is uh so it, funny that you bring him up because this is exactly what I was talking about earlier. Where if you're just if you're just a tight end who can finish with like six to eight touchdowns, it's going to be in all likelihood like a top eight positional finish. And that, sure enough, in a minefield season for tight ends, that's what he did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, manages six touchdowns. I, I think a lot of the you know, and I would agree with you that that you know, I mean, I even rank him outside the top ten, so I'm I'm guilty of it myself. But some some of this is just about how enthusiastic we were for him last year and how he performed relative to that. Like there was mm-hmm. just an expectation that um, he, he was going to, if not crack that top tier at tight end, then really make a run at sort of the, the second tier. And he was going to be a volume guy and he was going to be all kinds of things. And then he finishes the season and it's like, what, 75, 76 targets. And that's not usually enough to sustain year after year after year, like real tight end value. And it was well behind the guy, you know, Obviously, Kittle, Ertz, Kelsey—they're all over 130 targets. Um, so I, I think some of it was the was the volume issue. I, but Burton is a perfect example of somebody, and I think Anthony Miller falls into this as well, where like just modest improvement from Mitch Trubisky, right? Like he doesn't mm-hmm. need to reach some superstar level, but if he's just if he just doesn't wet himself when his first read is covered, right? If he just if he's just a little better, a little bit more secure in sort of going through his progressions and more confident in his pass catchers, a mild improvement. And Trey Burton is going to have a bigger season. Um, wouldn't surprise, like, wouldn't shock me at all if he outscores Vance McDonald, who everybody's on. Yeah, I have him ranked tenth, and he's going, I don't know, in the pick one eleven or something like that. So that's a, I don't know. He's just a middle round guy that if I miss out on this whole these, this group that we talked about. He's one that I'm like, oh, I'm okay. If, you know, if I end up with Trey Burton and another guy, or Burton and Herndon, I'm okay with that. Yeah, like, it's kind of funny. It. Like he finished the season ranked as a starting quality tight end, and everybody considered him a bust, which doesn't often happen. <laughs> yeah, and he was. I think he was drafted one spot higher than his finish. I think he was drafted <laughs> seventh or ninth, and I don't know, it was one spot within one spot of his finish, and everybody thinks he was a total failure. So yeah. that, that's fantasy football for you. Do you have a sleeper? Like a late round guy that you like the most. Um, aside from aside from Herndon, I, I guess it would have like for a minute I was trying to talk myself into Jordan Reed, but another part of me thinks that if you just avoid the um, if you just avoid the Washington offense altogether in a ten or twelve man <laughs> league, you're not like that's that's maybe not the worst. And this is going to seem super. Uh, Super Iowa Hawkeye homery, but I but I really do think there's a chance that T.J. Hawkinson ends up being one of those rare tight ends who uh, who actually has first year fantasy value. We don't we don't see it a lot. Last year's crop didn't necessarily do it, um, 
but you're talking about somebody who is going to be hard to keep off the field because he's a in the same way that Kittle is. He's a he's just a, a dominant run blocker. He's a really really good run blocker, um, which is most of the reason. Not that Noah Fant was bad, but that was most of the reason that Hawkinson played ahead of him last year. Is he was just like a do it all all situation every down all weather tight end right and. I think he's going to be that in in Detroit. Um, what does that equate to? Does it does it end up being a season that looks a lot like Burton's last year? I think it might. I I don't think it's crazy for Hawkinson to end the year with seventy to eighty targets. Um, it, you know, we had a we had a nice little uh, flash of talent from him in the preseason not so long ago. So I, I think he's a guy who, again, deep league, uh, fourteen team or sixteen team, or I'm interested, or a league in which I have to start to. I'm almost always getting Hawkinson. Or if you're having to stream, like he'll be a streaming option, yeah. especially if things if we start to see you know good good targets or good snap counts, um, he'll be he's somebody to target because they're not real stacked at receiver after Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones either. So right. and they also lost the Riddick. Um, so there's there's targets available there uh, in Detroit. I'm gonna just throw out Darren Waller again. Um, he got the he got the uh, segment on. Uh, hard knocks last week, uh, yeah. so his ADP is rising. Uh, but he's he's the converted uh, wide receiver there for Oakland. They obviously let uh, Jared Cook walk. They didn't even offer Cook a contract because they felt so confident in Waller. And uh, he was he was named uh, the breakout player that no one's talking about uh, by a few of his teammates there. So really, I think he's a you know another guy where if you're trying to co- combine with Herndon, you know maybe you do a Waller, a Waller Herndon for very cheap. And uh, you're okay at uh, tight end until Herndon gets back, and who knows, maybe Waller, uh, you know, ends up being the top ten as well. If so I do you can, have any thoughts on Waller? If I can, well, I was going to say, um, yeah, no, I, I like, I think you're weirdly right about the hard knocks thing. Like that probably is going to have an impact. Yeah, I'm trying absolutely. To, I'm trying to think of other situations in which, like, I feel like um, when hard knocks did the the Bengals, there was like a a big Gio Bernard surge because he was, he was featured in an episode, right? It's just weird how that show impacts fantasy drafts. Like I'm totally over that show. Um, and, and the, the proper comparison there, of course, is like Jared cook was like the tight end five last year or something like that. And all of that can go to, all of that can go to Waller. So there's definitely a path there as well. If I were, you know, that's, that's been one of those situations where there's just, there's enough tight ends on the board that, I don't end up having Waller like um, inside my top 16 or anything like that, but that's just kind of a numbers game. A whole bunch of guys are going to get hurt, and he's probably going to work his way in there. And plus, you know, if Antonio Brown there now is uh, uh, poaching some targets that uh, that might have otherwise gone to Cook last year, but I, I think that's a good call. If there's and there's one other name that I wanted to throw out that would just purely be really deep leagues, but maybe that's the kind of listener um, who, who joins this podcast, right? Like we I, have a few. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm in a 16 team or I have one of those coming up, um, I just want to point out that uh, like Max Williams has seen al- almost every snap uh, for Arizona. And that's like a, you know, name we cared about a handful of years ago when he was coming out of Minnesota and then he had never did a thing. Um, but like that appears to be Max Williams at the, at the top of the tight end hierarchy for Arizona and maybe Charles Clay second and Ricky Seals Jones is not, is not even playing. <laughs> yeah. He may, he may end up getting cut Ricky Seals Jones. And the other thing I just to piggyback on the Max Williams thing is that we always write off these tight ends when they struggle year one, year two. Uh, and if they leave, if they leave a team even more so, I guess, because that team gave up on them. But this other than you know maybe I guess quarterback I think it's even tight even more so than quarterback tight end needs 
some of these guys need a couple years to figure it out. Yeah, it's super and, common for tight ends not to even break out until their second contract, which yeah, um, that, you just don't see that at other spots. Yeah, so that that's a good point there. We'll keep an eye on uh, Maxwell. He, Max with two X's, right? Yeah, Max in, with in two Arizona. X's. Will Lutz with one L. <laughs> NFL's weird. Spelling wise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so before we uh, discuss uh, late August risers and fallers, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, fantasy football fans, listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million in real money. It is huge. Here's how best ball works. It's season-long, but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically started, and you'll get the best score every week guaranteed. No salary caps. Play in a real live snake draft just like you play with your friends in a season-long league. There's no better place to play, and you can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. Just do a draft, and you could potentially be a millionaire 16 weeks later. It doesn't get any easier than that. Join us today on Draft. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in the app or Play Store and join a game in minutes. Play right from your computer on Draft.com whenever you want. Right now, all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use promo code 4 for 4 That's right. Play real money game for free just by using promo code 4, the number 4, F-O-R, number 4, on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play for free with promo code 4 for 4. All right, we're back. Let's discuss a few uh, late August risers and fallers and whether or not we're buying or selling them at their current ADP on Draft Day. For this exercise, I pulled ADP from uh, uh, Draft.com from 8.1 to 8.21 and compared it to ADP from the last three days, Andy. So some of these names will obviously be affected by recent news, and we can discuss that as it comes up as well. The biggest riser on a percentage basis, so I take total total uh, picks moved up or down and divide it by their original ADP. I like to do that percentage so you can see relative to what they were being picked. Uh, it's a better gauge, I think, than just raw pick uh, basis. But Josh Gordon, he's plus 86 picks up. Plus 56%. His ADP is now a 69, so he's going off the board in the late sixth round. Are you buying Josh Gordon at that point in the draft? I'm almost, uh, I'm almost disappointed that it's such a reasonable price, right? <laughs> like maybe we're, maybe we're kind of over Josh Gordon hysteria at this point. Um, yeah. I was in uh, the Kings Classic auction and draft at the Pro Football Hall of Fame like a week or two ago. It was it was like literally the day after um, Josh Gordon was reinstated. Brad Evans is in the thing. He's a huge Josh Gordon guy. Like it has every season of Gordon's career. Um, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna nominate him first, and Brad's gonna have to go to like 25 bucks or whatever. And this is isn't that great. Um, and then he went for a perfectly reasonable like 13. dollars And then in the draft, he was like wide receiver, I don't know, 34 or something like that. It was just a reasonable price that I thought. And I I kind of feel like that's what the sixth round does. Like I feel like that accurately weighs. The, the sort of risk, the risk reward with Gordon is, of course, different from his range of outcomes is different from anybody else in the game because it's totally in play that he um, doesn't play a snap. 
right? Like, like mm-hmm. that's yeah. not, like there's injury risk with every player, but then with him, there's a, an additional level of risk. The like his floor is never plays again, and his ceiling is probably not like 2013, but it's still really good. Um, it's too small of a sample to just look at the three games he played without Gronk last year, but let's just do it. Um, he had 311 receiving yards and he had a couple of double-digit target games, and it is entirely possible that his best games are, you know, top three positional finishes. Um, I don't think he's going to be that guy every week, but I think it's in play for him to finish with like 1,100 yards and, and 10 scores if Brady is still Brady. Um, and again, it's also in play for him to never see the field again. So like, like, but I, but I think that's all appropriately priced when, when we're talking sixth round, I don't at the sixth, seventh round, I don't like, I don't need him to pop. If things take a bad turn, I can survive the loss of my sixth round pick. That makes a lot of sense. I'm typically, I mean, I have Curtis Samuel ranked ahead of him. I have other guys ranked ahead of him. I think I would love him in the seventh, um, sixth, just there's some guys there that I like a little bit more, but if you look at his last nine games um, after joining the Patriots, 64 catches, 1,134 yards. The reason I mentioned that is you mentioned the 1,100-yard season as well within play, and he caught only played at a 3.5 touchdown pace, um, but we have Kevin Zatlukul, our data scientist on, sa- on staff here at 4 for 4. He's like a PhD in computer science or something. He's way smarter than I am <laughs> talking to him, but um, he... Um, He's got an XTD stat, which is expected touchdown stat, based on where the player caught the ball or was targeted relative to the end zone, et cetera. And uh, he thought he should have caught twice as many touchdowns. So um, there's definitely touchdown upside there with Gordon. And you're, you know, those even without those touchdowns, those are low end wide receiver two numbers. He catches three or four or five more touchdowns, and suddenly you're looking at a, possibly a wide receiver one season. But then, as you as you mentioned, you know, there's a chance he doesn't play a snap. There's a chance he doesn't finish a season. Yeah. Um, a, a real chance because he hasn't finished a season since 2013. So I think sixth, sixth seventh round is, is pretty reasonable value there. You're getting you're, you're getting into that range where you're rolling the dice a little bit on some of these guys. I mean, you're you're betting on upside, and I think that's that's fair with Curtis Samuel, and that's fair with uh, Josh Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sh- I should probably also say that I don't own him yet. So <laughs> like, I'm, <laughs> like I'm saying that sounds like the right price, but I f- I feel like I have had opportunities and I've I've veered a different direction. But I'm yeah. I'm actually I'm with you on Curtis Samuel and sort of the. That's one one thing about the Panthers. They their early season schedule is so damn friendly, and I think Samuel's so good, and Moore is so good that I end up having those guys ahead of Gordon. Another riser is uh, Duke Johnson, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, plus seventy five on his picks, uh, plus fifty three percent relative to his previous ADP. Um, obviously, due to Lamar Miller's torn ACL and his ascension to the RB one role there in Houston, although there are rumblings that may not last. But my, my take on Duke is this. He's, you know, he's got the requisite side size for three down roll, 207, 210 pounds, depending where you look. Uh, he proved at University of Miami that he's capable of three down roll. He, he owns the University of Miami rushing record, uh, career rushing record. He's some, three... some pretty good running backs have come through the university. Yeah, that's not a bad school. Yeah. Not a bad school uh, for football. Uh, he's uh, going off the board with pick 66. So again, middle of the sixth round. Are you buying or selling Duke Johnson at that point? Um, I'm, I'm totally buying. This is probably a complicated answer um i I think there is like an overwhelmingly likely uh chance that they add another running back Mm -hmm. and i think what we're hoping for is that the guy they add is somebody like you know maybe they maybe they swing a deal for adrian peterson maybe it's somebody like jay ajayi um I, i think that would be actually like 
in terms of Duke's value, I think that would be a good thing because it would be um, a more natural pairing with somebody who is just not a huge threat on passing downs, right? I think that mm-hmm. I think that's what we want. Like the nightmare scenario is Houston gets in on Melvin Gordon or something like that, right? Like, um, but but I think if you pair him with somebody who is clearly not going to be much more than like 140, 150 touch guy, then there's a very clear path for Duke Johnson to, to say, and of course this would obviously be in like a half PPR, PPR league, something like that. But if he's, if he's getting 120, 130 carries, and then he's also going to get 80 to 90 targets, which I, I know that hasn't been a big part of what Deshaun Watson has done, but, um, but it certainly could be and they seem like they're um they seem like they're leaning toward you know encouraging Deshaun to get the ball out a little quicker <laughs> like like mm-hmm. fairly often so he maybe so he doesn't get sacked uh a hundred times uh you know like I, I feel like there's a path for Duke Johnson to get 200 touches and those are going to be really high quality touches a lot of them are going to be receptions and that is surely going to return sixth round value and and I I I I think it's good that we point out as often as we can that this guy was a three down back at the college level, like multiple years, like he did it. He has checked that box. We don't need to think of him as only, you know, this gadgety passing down guy. Yeah. He's not like a 195 pound guy either. He's got size to handle it and he's proven he can. He just hasn't done it at the NFL level. And it's not, uh, it's not like it's his fault. I mean, he's ended up in a, with a team that didn't believe in him in, a, in that type of a role. Um, and then Houston goes and trades for him. That shows intent. And they're also trading for a pass catching specialist, according to the you know what the NFL thinks of him. So that also indicates that maybe they want to throw the ball more to their running backs. And they did it with Arian Foster when he was there yeah. um, as well. So I'm buying it absolutely in the sixth, and I'll I will pull the trigger on him in the fifth. I think yeah, I will as really... well. That like this is a case unlike Josh Gordon, where I actually have some shares of the guy, and, and I think the fifth is totally in play. Yeah, I, I think I took him in my last three draft uh, best balls uh, in the early fifth round. So I'm I'm on board, um, and I agree with you about the who they get. I think they're, you know, looking back to when uh, the KC signed um, Carlos Hyde. And I looked at that as a boost for Damian Williams because they probably weren't going to uh, take a early, you know, use an early day, uh, first day, second day uh, pick on a running back in the draft. And they didn't. And ends up, you know, because I just kind of thought Hyde was washed. And now he's now he might get cut. And uh, Damian Williams is looking good. But we're going to talk about Damian Williams later, um, just as a little tease. Uh <laughs> Nick Chubb is a first-rounder. His ADP is now 11. It's up five picks uh, since the Duke Johnson trade, plus 33%. Are you buying or selling Nick Chubb as a first-round running back? Uh, I'm totally buying. I I think it is in play that Nick Chubb wins the rushing title. Like, I think that is 100% in play. Um, Maybe that's, I don't know. Zeke has basically uh, been the per-game rushing leader uh, (laughs) every season since he came into the league, so maybe maybe that's outlandish. Um, but there's there's just nothing that scares me behind Nick Chubb. I, I thought the the Duke Johnson deal was a was a big endorsement. I understand that it, he's not like it's not like he's running behind a top five NFL offensive line or anything like that. But he like such a wow player last year, um, such a fun player, and I just think it's going to be such a great offense. I, there's uh, it's not going to surprise me at all if Nick Chubb scores twelve touchdowns this season and rushes for thirteen hundred plus yards. Um, and, and whatever we get out of him as a receiver is going to be a bonus. I'm supposed to be worried about Kareem Hunt, but that's, man, like if you start making plans like two months, 10 weeks in advance, whatever in the NFL, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, like I'm, I, I, I just can't think that way. Like I've, I've got 
I've got two months of, of matchups to win before I have to even think about Kareem Hunt. And if Chubb is as good as I think he's going to be, um, when Hunt comes back, it, you know, Chubb is going to be so entrenched as an 18 to 25 touch per week guy that I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, and it's a good offense with a lot of weapons at receiver. There should be running lanes. They can't focus on stopping the running game. It's a great situation. I, I absolutely think that Chubb is in play to be the number one fantasy back heading into week 10 when um, Kareem Hunt is, is, Hunt is supposed to come off of his suspension, and time will tell whether or not he has much of a role. I mean, he might end up with seven, eight touches, and it really doesn't matter yeah. to Chubb at that point because he's just taking over you know, the backup role there. I, I just don't see Hunt coming in and getting 50% of the touches right off the bat anyway. So I'm with you on that. Um, Tony Pollard. Uh, he's now going with pick 112, uh, early 10th round. Looks like he would be the starter if Ezekiel Elliott uh, were to hold out any regular season games. It's He's up he's up 55 picks, so four or five rounds in ADP. Um, he split time in Memphis last year with Darrell Henderson and Patrick Taylor Jr. He only had 139 carries in three seasons at Memphis, 104 career catches, so he was more of a weapon in the passing game. But he Dallas seems to love him as the starter there if... Uh, Zeke holds out. I'm sure there's a little bit of posturing going on there as well. What do you think of Tony Pollard in the early 10th round, maybe even getting into the ninth round? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's obviously looked good. He's had huge running lanes in the preseason, so it's almost difficult to evaluate. And it was like everybody who was at Memphis last year averaged like seven yards per carry. So obviously his, you know, his, his, all of his college film looks really good and he was a volume pass catcher there. This has been one of those cases where, you know, I think I think I have one share of Tony Pollard, and it's because he fell beyond the tenth round. For the most part, I've been letting him go to whoever gets Zeke. Um, he's just I, he's a guy who has no standalone value when Zeke comes back, and it's you know obviously the Zeke situation can be its own podcast. Um, but but it has felt like a situation where the player wants to be with the team, and ultimately the team clearly want Zeke back. So I I just have a difficult time imagining it dragging beyond maybe a week or two. Um, I, I will think it's really strange if the Cowboys sign the guy who held out um, before they sign the quarterback and the receiver who have been in camp. You know, I, I think that sends a, just a brutal message that is just not the way to, like, run your business. Um, but Zeke, Zeke is enormously important to that team. He is a thousand times better I, w- I would say than Tony Pollard and I just I think Pollard's value just absolutely vanishes as soon as he comes back and so like it's the 10th round it's fine but I'm gonna and maybe he helps me win week one I don't know but I but I know I'm gonna drop him as soon as he comes back so I, I have not been terribly invested okay uh, I I wonder about his role you know with Zeke back maybe they don't run Zeke quite as much if they really love Pollard uh, I'm not 100% sure that his value completely dries up, but Zeke has always been like a 25 touch guy, so it's tough to find um, carries for somebody else, touches for somebody else, but he could make some waves in the passing game. Yeah, and strangely, re- they didn't find those 20 touches per game for Tavon Austin, right? Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember they, yeah, they were going to get him 20 touches a game. That was hilarious. Uh, Pollard, I think, is also set to return kicks and punts, so if you're in a return league, he's an interesting yeah. player to pick for that reason. Uh, Chris Carson's uh, value has spiked. Um, 
there's been talk of him being an excellent pass catcher in camp, and they want to give him the ball in space some more. Uh, his his ADP has has gone up. I actually took him in the FFPC late late third round. Um, I'm buying some of this due to the uh, vacated touches by Mike Davis. Uh, 34 catches, 147 touches vacated by Mike Davis. I think there's room for Carson's um, role to grow, uh, even with Rashad Penny getting a bigger share of things. Um, so his ADP is 32 now, plus 13 uh, picks. Uh, so he's bumped up around basically. He had 20 catches last year. Uh, do you see him getting 35 or 40? Do you think he's a third round pick? I I will caution people not to not to like I don't know. One of the lessons uh, that I feel like I've learned in many years of playing fantasy is just stop listening to Pete Carroll. Like Pete Carroll is going to be full <laughs> of sunshine about everybody. Like he ev- they want to get everybody more touches. Um, Chris Carson can punt. Chris Carson can get field goals for us. We wanna we wanna see how Chris Carson looks as Russell's backup. Like I, I don't know. Like, like like that's just Pete Carroll. That said, um, Chris Carson's really good, and I like I, I would hope that people would have already been in on him. And and I understand if yeah, there's a certain amount of bullishness on on Rashad Penny coming into last season. Um, obviously, they used a very high pick on him, but I mean. One of the really nice things about the Seahawks organization and, and Carroll as a coach has always been that um, they're able to separate a guy's like draft price from who we really want on the field based on you know what we see in practices and what we see in preseason games. And Chris Carson's really good. Um, he's a he's a super fun watch. And this is also one of those teams where we might be able to reasonably expect them. I mean, it just doesn't happen a lot in the NFL today, but we might reasonably expect them to run the ball more than they pass. Um, so there, there's just a huge, um, there's just a huge workload for him. You know, he was a thousand yard back last year and, and really looked the part again. I think this is somebody who's, who's, tape looks better than the numbers um so yeah i've i've been in on chris carson as a as a plausible like late third rounder so i'm i'm not veering away from that um in fact if somebody wanted to take him at the very end of the second round i wouldn't i wouldn't think that's a crazy reach okay good well that makes me feel better about my ffpc pick um i think part of his ascension too is just this third round receivers are all like banged up or there's some serious question marks about them mari cooper um yeah. stuff on you know, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, their running game there in, in Minnesota seems to be the priority as opposed to the passing game. Um, T.Y. Hilton, obviously, we'll talk about that situation a little bit later. Uh, his ADP is dropping. So somebody's eventually going to have to get up into those picks, and I think that's part of what's boosting his stock along with the good buzz. I think that's kind of a twofold thing going on there. Um, Emmanuel Sanders. Wow. Uh, Achilles tear, I was, you know, cautiously optimistically drafting him in the 13th 12th 13th round early on just thinking yeah he can make it back and then i saw some bad stuff about the achilles tear recovery and i kind of got off him for a while and then he's uh then all of a sudden he's taking he's taking part in 11 on 11 drills 7v7 drills in practice and it looks like he's going to be playing week one uh he, he actually played in the preseason which is fairly shocking uh now he's going with pick 107 so he's a late ninth rounder he actually went in the late sixth round in my ffpc draft which i was shocked by um, but I hadn't seen him gone that early at that point. Um, late ninth rounder, maybe you're talking, let's talk eighth round as well. When you, when you, would you pull the trigger on Emmanuel Sanders? Yeah. I feel like sometimes it's okay to really root for a guy personally and not have any shares in fantasy. And that's, that's, that's where I'm at on Emmanuel Sanders. Like not only is he playing in the preseason, he had a highlight play in the preseason, like looked mm-hmm. really good. Um, I've got a couple of different factors here. We, we have, you know, 
a, a number of mouths to feed in that passing game. A couple of uh, a couple of second year receivers who are really good in, in Sutton and Hamilton. We've got Joe Flacco at quarterback. Not that they had a great quarterback situation last year either, but um, Flacco at quarterback doesn't doesn't necessarily thrill me. And then like he's been almost entirely off my board because of the Achilles injury and because of the nature of recovery from that and, and what it tends to do across all sports to anyone's explosiveness. Um, th- like there's just enough factors here where I haven't been able to, to talk myself into it um, at any price so far. That, that said, I have a good fantasy history with Emmanuel Sanders and I would, you know, I like uh, just general rule. I always, I was root for guys coming back from, uh, potentially catastrophic injuries like this. So I, I hope he's really successful, but if he's a, if he's a huge fantasy success story, it's, it's going to be on somebody else's roster. Gotcha. I I'm okay with him. Eighth round, ninth round. Um, depends on what's going on with the draft. I'm usually looking at my quarterback in the 10th, uh, but there might be a ninth rounder there. Wentz or Kyler Murray or somebody along those lines, maybe a Cam Newton in the ninth. And then I'm not able to take Sanders where I want to take him. Uh, but that's over the last two seasons, he played at a 78-catch, 949-yard, four-touchdown pace. Now he's got Joe uh, Elite Flacco. <laughs> I think he I think he actually changed his middle name to Elite uh, Flacco, throwing him the ball, so it should be a tradition. I hope he's got, like, a secret tattoo across his back or something. That'd be that awesome. Elite in, like, Old English script. Well, that's, what, that's when I knew that I needed to be suspicious of Donald Trump is when he like had a video saying, yes, I think that Joe <laughs> Flacco is Elite because he won a Super Bowl. Um, anyway... <laughs> That was the nail in the coffin, I guess, on that. Uh, Jamison Crowder is a favorite target of Sam Darnold and Camp. They're beat writers. Wildly projecting 900, 100 catches for uh, Jamison Crowder. Although Adam Gase has a good history with uh, slot receivers. Wes Welker, Jarvis Landry uh, were obviously good for him in, in, Miami, in Miami and uh, elsewhere, uh, Denver. Uh, and then Amendola led the team in catches last year, actually. Danny Amendola uh, out of the slot. So... Are you buying this uh, ADP of 133, um, 12th round pick? Do you want Crowder at that point? It's funny. I should almost always recuse myself from conversations about Jamison Crowder because I always think he's going to catch 90 passes. Like, this, isn't, <laughs> this isn't the first time that I thought he's going to catch 90 passes. I think two years ago I was I was calling him a dark horse to lead the league in receptions, and he like he just he's always had some sort of preseason thing that holds him back early in the year. Um, he's looked great. Um, and there, I, I totally buy the connection between him and Darnold. I, I think there's a good chance that Sam Darnold makes that. I don't know. I, like maybe not like a Wentz golf style leap because they had unique situations, uh, uh, when they were rookies and when they were second year players. But I think there's a real chance that Darnold makes a, makes a leap into like that top 15, top 16 fantasy value sort of area. It wouldn't shock me if he throws for 4,000 yards. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if Jameson Crowder has 80 or 90 catches. Like I, I think he's a really good player who's, who's, you know, unfortunately never been right at the early part of, uh, recent seasons. Um, and he, he's always one of these guys where you can just, you can just, you know, do, play the arbitrary endpoint game and say, aha, if we just take week seven to week 15 and extrapolate that, all, you know, all of a sudden he's at 110 catches or like whatever. He's, he's never held together for a full season and he's never had the right quarterback situation. But, but like, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to go down with this ship. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think at some point in Jameson Crowder's career, he's a 90 catch guy. It's not going to shock me if it's this year. I have a ton of shares. I have a ton of shares of him. That is an interesting 
comment about Darnold, and I wanted to bring up a study that I did, or I, I look at the progress of sophomore quarterbacks, and there's basically as a rookie quarterback, there's two types. You fall into two camps. You either you either average over 17 points per game, or you average under 14. Since like the year 2000, there hasn't been anybody in the middle. You know, hmm. it's gotten 12, 14. It's really strange. And then you look at um, what they do the following season, and it, the, the group that is lower obviously is going to uh, improve on on the whole, and the group in the in the higher group ends up losing ground. So, uh, for example, the good rookies drop six percent in their uh, points per game. And the bad rookies, I call them the bad rookies. They're sub fourteen points per game. They they go up twenty six percent in their point in their uh, per game average. So you can count on a leap from these guys who, especially because these are. I'm only looking at at players that started. I think it was at least twelve games in both seasons. So somebody that the team has enough confidence in to start the following season after a, like a quote unquote poor rookie year tends to make a twenty six percent jump in their points per game and that would put Darnold squarely in the QB2 uh production if he, if he uh sees that sort of jump as well. So and people are going to be really unhappy if Baker Mayfield takes a step back. That's that's, that's yeah. That's and not he's one the draft of the, price. Yeah, he was definitely in the top group so that is a typical 6% drop, but not it doesn't always drop, but uh it has a tendency to drop. So um back to our list of risers miles sanders is tearing up uh, eagles camp he's still playing in a committee we think you know he's not seeing all the touches with the first team adp is 60 now he's going near that five six turn are you buying him there um i have bought him there so yeah i'm, I'm sort of i'm sort of forced to say yes here i've i've had him um I, again it was in the king's classic draft and I had, uh, I had the first overall pick, and I remember taking him. I guess it would have been the, uh, it would have been the. I took him in the fifth round, like the very first pick of the fifth round uh, in that one. I, I just think your your ceiling there is really high. I was a huge fan uh, of his in the in the one big season at Penn State. I thought he was really good. I th- sure seems like he's separated from the rest of that running back crowd, and I think he's like, I, I know they have a zillion running backs, one or two of whom could very well end up in Houston or something for all we know, right? Like they have too, they have too many running backs right now. I, I think Sanders has separated. He is kind of the one guy there who, um, you know, he doesn't have Jordan Howard's flaw, his critical flaw, which is an inability to, to really catch the ball effectively or function well as a, as a member of the passing game. I think he's a much more versatile player. Um, that said, the team has also had success at the very highest level with a with a committee approach to the running back position and when a team you know whatever you win a super bowl like that i i don't necessarily expect you to then want to have one guy who gets 280 touches so i don't i don't really think that's in play it's not like i don't put sand that's why i don't put sanders quite in that club with josh jacobs and and perhaps david montgomery where i see a really clear path to 270 touches or so i don't know Mm -hmm. if that's there um, but I do think he's a really explosive player and a great offense. Um, and I think he gets to a thousand scrimmage yards. I don't know how many touchdowns he gets to, um, but I, but I think he's a very solid RB two um, with the potential to be more. I like it. I have nothing to add that would dispute what you're saying. So I'm going to move along with 
a couple of the risers that I know you wanted to talk about. Justice Hill and Michael Gallup. Why don't you just give us your take on, on those two players? Um, yeah, I'm pretty infatuated with Michael Gallup, and I like, like I he he played a he played a preseason game the other night where like uh, his best play was actually negated by penalty. Um, somehow kept his feet and plunged into the end zone. I I, I think he's a strong kid. He had a, he had a closed his season with a with a huge postseason performance. I'm I'm really excited to see what he does in year two. Um, said that you know. Like he's had had this full off season with uh, with Dak again with no Zeke around. Um, the the start of the Cowboys season is super friendly. Um, who is it? It's it's the Giants. It's Washington and um, one other one, Miami. Miami, yeah, and another t- a team that gave up over eight yards per pass attempt last year. Like it's just a really friendly start to the season. Um, if his targets just come up to, I don't know, seven or eight per game. I think he's going to be a really nice value. Somebody who can definitely finish as a wide receiver three. And then I've been, I've just been, I've been plucking Justice Hill as like a dollar guy, late round guy. You can't really get him in the, in the end game anymore, but uh, you know, just, just bought him at $4 in a dynasty auction last night, um, which I thought was a bit of a steal. Um, And then, you know, I, I don't know, I'd had a few last night and I just picked him up for $4. So I had a little, little celebratory tweet about it. And then you just, you just hear, we were talking about it before we jumped on the pod. Twitter is such a hellscape. You just, you just hear from all the people who have something bad to say about a guy. And I'm like, you know, I'm hearing about how he had injury trouble in high school and how he's a little on the small side. And like, like, I get it, even though he's basically the same size as Christian McCaffrey when McCaffrey came into the league. Um, I don't think he's like, you know, he's not like a gadget player kind of small. Um, he was, well, he was, okay. He was phenomenal at Oklahoma state, but that was the big 12. And so, you know, who knows the big 12 defense is, is sort of optional. Um, I, I just, I just think he was, he was a wonderful player at the collegiate level and a volume guy at the collegiate level. Um, he's on a team that is going to run more than any other. Uh, the slightest thing happens to Mark Ingram and all of a sudden justice Hill is a must start fantasy star. And I, I also think he's going to have a standalone role probably as a, you know, if they get into third down situations, third and long, I think you're going to see a lot of justice Hill. So I'm super enthusiastic about him. Yeah, another thing to look at there in Baltimore is what they do with that depth chart because Kenneth Dixon is, I think, a talented player and probably could be starting for a few teams in the NFL yeah. given the, the current state of the running backs around the league. But um, if he gets cut and they keep Tyler Irvin as the primary return man, more of a specialist, that shows a lot of confidence in Justice Hill. And, and Gus Edwards is there as well. So the the depth chart's a little bit crowded, but they're going to run so much. They're probably going to lead the league in uh, rush attempts and – so Justice Hill probably has a standalone weekly role. Uh, you know, if he's a good pass catcher, he's better than Gus Edwards because Gus Edwards can't. <laughs> he makes he makes Jordan Howard look like Derrick Sproles. Um, but if something happens to Ingram, because I like Ingram quite a bit, given you know he cho- he chose a really good team to, to go to in yes. free agency, and yeah. and um, it's interesting to see his ADP drop into the fifth as Justice Hill's. Uh, increases. Uh, so that is one thing to keep monitor as well. You could probably have both for fairly reasonable price, but um, it's something you're right, by to... the way, to call it Ingram. I think he's a, just a filthy steal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I well, like, whatever, maybe he's, um, he's not like a superstar level talent, but again, no team is going to run that much. And I don't think it's going to be close. Um, maybe Seattle approaches them, but like, those two teams are going to be so far and away um, ahead of everybody else in terms of uh, rush attempts. Yeah, and if something happened to Ingram, all of a sudden you have Justice Hill in a larger role, maybe you know sharing time with 
Gus Edwards, but getting more carries than he otherwise would have and getting all the catches, really, because yeah. Ingram is going to catch the ball there. So, all right, let's discuss a few fallers. Uh, this whole Andrew Luck situation um, has really weighed down T.Y. Hilton's uh, ADP. There's a little bit of panic maybe in the air with, with him. He's down 12 spots to an ADP of 39, so he's now going uh, in the fourth round instead of uh, being an early third-round pick. Uh, Marlon Mack is down nine spots to pick 38. You know, you've looked at this over the last few days since the the Luck retirement. How big of a hit does this offense take with Luck out? It was pretty ugly in 2017, but we have a new offensive coordinator in Frank Reich. Uh, Jacoby Brissett has two years now in the offense, uh, or a year and a half in the offense now. So is there any point where you'd <laughs> want to draft these guys? I, I'll first say I was I was live on the radio in Chicago, like as a as a guest on uh, WSCR when the news broke of Andrew Luck's retirement and had, had to spin this in real time. And it was, um, oh, man, I was like, I was just so bummed because he's he's not only is he one of my favorite guys to watch, um, it, certainly when healthy, but really under any circumstance, I like I was so bullish on that offense. It's such a good off good young offensive line fun skill players that was going to be that was going to be great um that, that was really going to be a good thing so um you know but bummer for him bummer for all of us that we don't get to see the next 10 years of Andrew Luck um I, I find Jacoby Brissett very easy to root for um and I think there might be something there mostly because he is number one he's behind that great offensive line number two um he he's been working with the first team um, for months uh, because there's mm-hmm. been no Andrew Luck. So I think that is super helpful. It is not a situation where like the, the you know, understudy is thrust into this role because of a, a, an unforeseen injury to the starter. This is like, it's been Jacoby Brissett's team um, for like three months. Uh, and, and I think they, you know, the team has even talked about this. He's had like a thousand plus reps with the, with the sort of varsity Colts, <laughs> right. Just like over the summer. So I think that helps in no small way. Um, that, that said, it's, it's still like Andrew Luck is, um, was one of the great talents in the, in the game when healthy. And so there's a natural drop off to Jacoby Brissett, who I think is kind of a low end starting quality quarterback who, you know, has some traits you like, but it's just, he's not going to be as inventive as Luck. He's, he's not, you know, he's just not as uncommonly gifted as Luck. So I think it's, I I think it hammers, uh, T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. I think he goes from. On my board, he was somewhere in the in the wide receiver twelve range, um, and he's fallen to about the wide receiver 27, 28 mm-hmm. range. And when I've had the opportunity to take him at the place that I rank him, I don't. Um, <laughs> so maybe that says something. How I should how I should rank, but I'm not like you know. It's one of those things like you learn a lot about your ranks when you're actually like yeah. in the heat of a draft or an auction, and I just. I, I veer to another position when it's time to take T.Y. Hilton, so I I have I have gone away from him entirely. I think it's like I don't I don't want to make it like a funeral for the entire offense because again when your line is good there's hope, um, but I think it's really rough for Marlon Mack. Um, Ebron was gonna I think Ebron is actually one of the more interesting players because he like fantasy experts just run away from him, right? Because mm-hmm. as soon as we say regression, we're like, okay, that means I can't touch him. Except the guy scored 14 damn touchdowns last year. So he could like, he, I don't, he can give away eight touchdowns and he's still in a, in a situation where he can finish as a top eight fantasy tight end. And I like, 
a lot has been made of how often Brissett targets the tight end position. And I, I, I don't know. They found something that worked with Ebron last year, and it's not going to shock me if he gives us six touchdowns or seven touchdowns. So Ebron, to me, does not need to fall all the way to, like, 20 or 24. I, I still think he could be a plausible sort of top 12-ish tight end, but it's, for the most part, this is just a killer for, for everybody. Just a couple notes on Hilton. He had averaged 3.6 catches for 60 yards, 0.25 touchdowns on 6.8 targets per game in the 16 games uh, in 2017. I should note that Scott Tolzien actually started week one that year, um, so not really fair to Jacoby Brissett. But he Hilton finished, I think, wide receiver 25 um, or in that range, so uh, maybe a high-end wide receiver three that year. There's, As you mentioned, the having the whole offseason – um, knowing the offense, be playing for an offensive coordinator with a good, you know, creative offensive mind that's probably going to get the most out of his team. Those are all pluses. Mm-hmm. I would say a couple minuses relative to Hilton is that there's a lot more receiving talent there now. Devin Funches is there. They've got uh, Jack Doyle was there in 2017, but now they have Eric Ebron as well. Um, so there's some mouths to feed um, at the receiver position. Paris Campbell, if he can get healthy as well. So not guaranteed the same target. Um, share, but maybe the maybe the whole pie increases a little bit because Brissett's allowed to throw the ball a little bit more. The other one thing I want to note on Brissett is that the Athletic had a um, somebody did a big scouting report on him from back when they drafted, and he like he like brought up his scouting report from from uh, from that year and went through this like analysis of Brissett and his strengths and weaknesses and. You know, it was all really good, and I get down to the bottom, and it's like my projection for him is 3,800 passing yards and 29 touchdowns. And I was like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that'll play. (laughs) I plugged plugged those numbers into what I have for his uh, rushing because he does run the ball quite a bit, and that would have made him, if he hits those numbers, he's going to be the fantasy quarterback too. So Mm -hmm. that that is some, you know, maybe why sometimes beat writers shouldn't be doing projections, but. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's a top 10, top five quarterback. We'll see if he's able to, th- you know, throw for that uh, sort of volume and, and uh, throw 29 touchdowns. Uh, you're looking at a steal in the whatever 15th round where he's going right now. Uh, Melvin Gordon situation. I'm completely off of Gordon. Um, just to give you my take first, uh, I feel like he's going to, he, he and the team are so far apart on the money. There's all, all everything's negative. Um, between the two teams and the news surrounding it. Maybe there's one little positive nugget here and there, but it just seems really negative. It seems like he's going to come back midseason and get his year of service and do as little as possible. He's still going in the late fourth round. Uh, are you buying Melvin Gordon at the 4-5 turn? No. Uh, I think what you describe is the most likely scenario. Um, I, like it, This is also this is different from the Zeke situation in that I'm not sure Melvin cares about being there. Like it, it feels like Zeke recognizes that Dallas is the best place for him, both in terms of personal brand and on-field success. And the team recognizes that Zeke is really good and they just need to come to a number. And that, it, it seems more complicated with Melvin, right? Like, the, <laughs> like not only does that team have two running backs that they, that they think highly of and have performed very well, right? Like Eckler's great. Um, Justin Jackson could be a thing. Um, I, I also don't think that Melvin, I'm not sure Melvin recognizes this, um, that, I, I mean, he's he's not quite at Zeke's level, right? Like, I think right. Zeke is one of those guys who is just, like, rare talent, and we can say running backs don't matter, but 
that's only true until they're as good as Zeke and Saquon and a handful of other guys. And I don't think Gordon is quite in that club. Um, so I think nothing happens until Zeke is signed because to me that sets a, a an outer limit on what Gordon can possibly hope to get. Like he's just not going to, he should not get what Zeke gets, will not get what Zeke gets. Um, so I don't, I don't think anything happens before then. And I don't think either side is motivated. I think, as you say, it, just reading tea leaves, um, it, it sure feels like, Gordon obviously has to get the year of service in, but he's willing to he's willing to wait out half the season to do it. The the I mean the winning scenario here is a deal to like Tampa Bay or a deal to Houston or something like that. Like that's the that's the thing that saves Gordon's fantasy value. And I, I don't know. I don't know that the team wants to do that for him at this point. Yeah, and the team not only will the team have to be willing to trade him, but the team that gets him is has to be willing to pay him. Has to be willing to pay him and yeah. give up a, an early pick, right? Like Yeah. I don't know. So you're giving up two uh, assets, money and the pick. So yeah, I'm I'm just off this. I, I do like Eckler in the <clears throat> sixth, seventh round. Um, Justin Jackson, I've got a few shares of him as well, just on the off chance that he ends up leading. I think Eckler is going to be the guy in that backfield. I do. Um, I do as well. I do as well. Okay, uh, Dante Pettis. He's his breakout campaign is off to a rocky start. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it's all factual uh Kyle Shanahan has admitted that he's hard on receivers um Pettis has been out there with the ones in preseason um he's maybe playing in games longer than you would think a wide receiver one would be playing for his team in the preseason but his ADP is down to pick 97 uh he played at a uh in a six game stretch he played at a 64 catch 989 yard 11 touchdown pace uh, 99 targets during that pace uh so he's shown it over a month and a half um, do you buy that he may not start or play starters minutes for the 49ers this year? Um, well, I, I, like, unfortunately that's, that's certainly in play, right? Like that's clearly in play. I can't, I can't totally dismiss it. Um, I really liked this guy's rookie, rookie season. Um, and he's not, he's not necessarily one of those players that does it with like blinding speed and he's not, it's not like he's six five or anything like that, but, but he's, He's just a really fun watch off the line of scrimmage, and he and he um, his balance, the the way that he's able to to separate and and shake pretty good corners like off the snap of the football is was pretty unusual, and he really like he I just felt like he showed a ton in the in the final you know month and a half or so last year. Uh, he, he was a really fun player. They, that said, I also like Debo Samuel's had some moments. Um, I I think. Jalen Hurd's NFL career could be really fun. I don't know that it's going to amount to much in year one, but I think he's a super interesting talent with a, with a crazy playing history, right? Like he was, um, he was a dominant running back who then became a, a near dominant receiver and looks like he's sure going to make it as a, as a sort of red zone target for that team. So like they have a bunch of guys who I think are really interesting. Um, I, I think if you can get Dante Pettis around pick 100, like you're not going to, you're not going to think twice if you have to cut a guy that you took in the ninth round, like that, that is going to happen. Like you're going to, I don't know, you're going to cut six guys that you draft. Like, um, there, there's so little risk there. And I still think the potential for Pettis, um, assuming that, you know, Garoppolo gets his legs under him and this offense is everything that we think it can be. Um, I still think the upside for Pettis is 1100 yards and like six, seven touchdowns. Um, so I'd, I'd buy him all day in the ninth round. 
um, I, I really like him. He's a, he's a guy that I have some shares of in dynasty leagues that I'm, that I'm pretty enthusiastic about going forward. Um, I hope a lot of this stuff is motivational and I do think that he faces serious threats from young competition, but I, I, I really like his, his potential. So to, to circle back to Emmanuel Sanders, you have to choose between the two. You're taking Pettis oh, over I'm Sanders. Taking, I'm taking Pettis all day. And some of that okay. is, is just, man, like, and Achilles is so hard to come back from. And there's just a couple of injuries, like a patellar tendon injury and an Achilles injury. I, I'm just, I'm kind of like, I'm rooting for you, buddy, but I'll, but I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll see you in two years if you make it back. I'm, I'm rooting for you, buddy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. Another player who's down, but maybe not out. <laughs> I, I certainly don't think he's out. It's Kenyon Drake. Uh, pick 85 now, which give me that all day long. I love him at that point in the draft. I will take him as early as the sixth round if I need a running back because he's out of the he's out of the walking boot now. So we don't have that fear. I think he's going to be out there week one. Um, I think worse. And let me tell me if I'm crazy, but I think worst case scenario, he's splitting time with Kalen Balage and in a, in a t- on a team that has going to have to throw the ball more than they want to. Uh, he's a better pass catcher than Balage. Yeah. Um, playing for the New England uh, offensive coordinator from last year, you know James White had so many catches over the last whatever years. There, I just think PPR, especially half PPR, um, he's basically in the same situation he was last year. He was RB fourteen last year, splitting time with Frank Gore. I think he's a better runner than Kalen Balage. I think Balage looks great in the preseason when nobody can try to tackle him uh, in <laughs> in camp. But you know, I've read enough threads that to know that he does not break tackles and create yards on his own. Um, when he has a, a a gap to run through and can use his speed, um, he can get there. Uh, but he's not a guy that's going to make anyone miss and create yards on his own. So I think there might be a few games where Balaj beats Drake out in terms of carries, and if he doesn't break a long one or a long two in that stretch, you're going to start seeing Drake uh, out carry him. So I think he's a really nice pick in the sixth, seventh, eighth round. What are your thoughts on Drake? I think I think this is the right price for him uh if you can get him round seven round eight i mean it's like it's going to be a poor offense um the you know the line has looked uh perhaps disastrous uh uh, in the in the preseason like there's there's plenty to worry about like he had nine touchdowns last year i don't know that i see i don't know that i see that like he's gonna be He's going to be one of those guys fighting to score this team's one offensive touchdown each week. <laughs> like that's, kind of, that's kind of how I look at Miami. But he he did have a thousand scrimmage yards last year, um, and I think I think that's in play. So a thousand scrimmage yards and five or six touchdowns is going to be an RB two, and it it makes this the right price for him. Um, I, I think actually. Like this backfield looks kind of settled to me, and it does look like it's going to be a, a tandem situation. It's going to be the two of them, and Balage is going to get more work than any anybody in the fantasy community, other than Matt Berry, wants him to get. Right? Like, <laughs> like I'm I'm over Balage. I've, I've seen enough. I don't need to see more. Um, but I but I agree with you. To like Drake, if he stays healthy for a full season, he's never missed a game, so I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, is going to catch another 50 passes. I think that is, um, you know, is he going to get a lot more than he got? I think it was 53 last year. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if he finished with 60. That's That's going to be a really good PPR year. Yeah. Do you think there's a path to 12 to 14 carries plus four or five catches a game? Um, boy, that's, or is that really a stretch? That's, 
that's going to surprise me because I, I don't think ultimately it's going to be some high volume rush game. I, I think they clearly want Balage involved. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very surprised if he, uh, if there are very many games where he sees 20 touches, but you know, if he's, if he's getting 15, 16 a week, I think that's fine at the price you're paying. Yeah. Especially for this point in the draft. So I, I like him at that, at that range. And if he keeps falling, that's absolutely fantastic. I'll take him all day. Uh, Kiki QT, uh, back at practice. Although Bill O'Brien was weirdly pessimistic that he wasn't going to be able to play. What the hell is this? Like he comes back to practice and we've had like a week and a half before week one and Bill O'Brien's yeah. like, no, not going to play. <laughs> not. So I don't know what's going on there. I guess he was pretty limited uh, in practice. So maybe this is like working on the sprain and trying to figure it out. But anyway, he's going pick 130. Now he's down 22 picks. His ADP has dropped two rounds. Um, really when he's out there, he is battling with DeAndre Hopkins in terms of targets. Like it's not a clear who's the number one target there. Obviously DeAndre Hopkins is the number one receiver there, but QT gets a lot of targets and Hopkins numbers actually go down a little bit when QT plays. So that's an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on. But at this point in the draft, it seems like you got to pull the trigger on the, on him in the 11th. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, had he been healthy coming into this season? And this is an, this is another situation. He's like, he's like my future Jamison Crowder because like before he'd even been drafted, I was on Kiki Island. I was like ready for some team to take him. And I'm, I like loved his, uh, loved his collegiate resume, loved his college tape. Um, really, really like the player. He, he's another guy who's, he's great in the postseason last year, uh, in their, in their loss. Um, I, I think he's a really talented player. And if he were healthy coming into the year, um, I think I probably would have had him right around wide receiver 35, 36, which would make me maybe a big outlier uh, uh, among fantasy writers. I'm not sure, but I'm super enthusiastic about this guy. But now we have to factor in, you know, possibility that not only does he miss week one, um, but but now we have these short-range Duke Johnson targets to worry about and how exactly are they going to deploy Duke? Are we ever going to see Duke as, you know, lining up in the, in the slot? Like there's... There's layers of worry here. Um, it also does seem like Will Fuller is still feeling the effects of an injury, so um, maybe that was going to mean more targets for Kiki. Like generally speaking, in a in a uh, you know at the start of the season, I don't like to take on a lot of problems. I don't I don't like to you know go seek out trouble because in the NFL, like injuries are going to find you. So why do why do I have to stockpile players who are already hurt? So that's that's definitely. That has definitely affected my, my rank on Kiki, but I, I do view him as a guy where um, if I can get him as like my first benched receiver, I like that a lot because I think there are going to be some games here where he sees double-digit touches, and it's maybe, you know, he's never going to have a 180-yard game, but um, I think there's going to be plenty of days where he catches nine balls for uh, 79 yards and has a shot at a score. Yeah, he's a perfect guy for the PPR, which we neither one of us really like, but... Um, <laughs> You know, catching a lot of passes for lower yardage, uh, and in the eleventh round, you can get him as your fourth or fifth receiver, yep. and may not need him until week four or five when the buy starts. So that's a that's a value pick, I think. Uh, Christian Kirk, some he's dropped around about a round in ADP due to some concerns about his playing time with the starters in the preseason um, game. So I know, and they also added Michael Crabtree, which I thought was sort of an odd signing. Um, one, number one, you know, Michael Crabtree was still on the street. And number two, this is a pretty young and upcoming, uh, up and coming uh, receiving core. You know, why do you need Michael Crabtree? I understand there's some connections there with the air raid offense. And um, maybe they were not 
uh, as happy with all their receivers as they sort of went <laughs> on. I mean, they, they brought in Crabtree for a workout and then let him walk and then brought him back. So he's going. Uh, Kirk's going in the mid seventh round. He he was on pace for um, low end wide receiver three numbers and twelve games playing with Josh Rosen. Yeah. Uh, fifty seven catches, seven hundred eighty seven yards, four touchdowns. So that to me is, um, you know, you're getting him now basically at his floor, what he produced with Josh Rosen. Uh, so this to me looks like a good deal, but there are some weird things going on with the depth chart. What do you make of Christian Kirk in the seventh yeah, round? Yeah, mid-seventh round is, is a total no-risk pick for somebody who could obviously finish as a wide receiver too. Like I'm a, I'm a big Kyler Murray believer. Um, I'm, I'm, I think this offense is going to be really fun. That last preseason game they played was great. Um, I, I will say they like. there's a lot of receivers who are doing good things for that team. Um uh, Keyshawn Johnson has been has had some wow moments uh, in the in the pre- he had a, like a back shoulder play with uh, with Murray in the the most recent preseason game that was just terrific and he's obviously been about as high buzz as it gets um, throughout throughout camp and uh, in the preseason they love him so I, I do think this is you know there's competition there no question um, but Kirk is a big talent who as you said was was good enough with Josh Rosen in a far less interesting offense. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we're, I mean, this, this is going to be a, for better or worse, they're going to be like four or five receivers on the field all the time in Arizona. And that we think they're going to play pretty fast and we think the ball is going to come out quick. And that just all sort of suits Christian. Car- like, I, I, I think he's going to catch 80 passes and I don't know what the yardage is going to be, but I like at this price, um, if I can get him in the seventh round, that's that I have not yet seen him fall to the seventh round. Um, and maybe that's because I, keep drafting with all these industry people who have, you know, kind of planted the flag with, uh, with Christian Kirk. But I, but yeah, I, I love that price. Yeah. You're looking at Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Michael Crabtree, Keyshawn Johnson, and Andy Isabella probably is the top five receivers. And Andy Isabella is just, I just want to mention him. He's a ridiculous athlete um, out of UMass. And he came in really high in Kevin Zalukal's wide receiver success uh, model that measures success or the likelihood of success as a you know, top 24 uh, PPR wide receiver over the first three years of a career. So he was gobbling up all the Isabella in the, in the early uh, dynasty drafts. And then Isabella had a knee injury. It was dealing with that kind of got passed on the depth chart by Keyshawn Johnson. And then he came back and had a long touchdown uh, reception. I think it was the last, last uh, preseason he's game. He's got like four, three speed too. Um, four, three. Yeah. And he's not just an, he's not just a, he looks like a slot guy, but he's not just a slot guy. He's a slot guy that can go deep. So it'd be very interesting to see this, uh, the snap counts on those five receivers and anybody else that they have there uh, throughout the year. I'll, I'll just um, add on, on Keyshawn. Um, he broke a bunch of Devonte Adams records at uh, Fresno state. So like, if you're doing that, you're, you're, well, you're pretty good. <laughs> that's not bad. All right, we're uh, going to go over a few divisive players and dicey situations after another word from our sponsor. Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business, has partnered with Hooters to bring you the largest guaranteed rake-free contest lineup in the history of daily fantasy sports, including the $1 million Hooters kickoff. That's right, Fantasy Draft is hosting the first rake-free contest with a guaranteed prize pool of $1 million. Listen, as other fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed, making it hard for players just like you to win. Whether you call it rake, commission, or management fee, the days of paying 10, 12, or even 15% or more of your entry fees to fantasy companies are over. No longer will you lose 30% of your bankroll to, bankroll to the house. 
only on Fantasy Draft are 100% of entry fees paid out to contest winners 100% of the time. To access all of Fantasy Draft's exclusive rake-free contests, including the Hooters Million Dollar Kickoff, all you need to do is become a member. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444 and you'll get a free 7-day trial membership. That's FantasyDraft.com, promo code 444. Don't miss your shot at this incredible million-dollar rake-free contest, and it's $100,000 top prize. All right, we've been too agreeable on this pod, Andy, so let's talk <laughs> divisive players. Uh, these, I went, I mean, I think we can all agree that Twitter is known for reasonable and respectful debate. <laughs> so I went to Twitter, and I asked my followers, who is the most divisive player this summer, and Twitter responded. I actually counted up the votes for this pod. Um to figure out who the most divisive players were. I think a few people got like the message, like what was divisive. Uh, they, you know, mentioned Tyree kill because he's, um, you know, had all that stuff going on with his child and his wife and was looking like he was going to get suspended and you can't root for him. So you don't want to take him. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a guy we don't like. We're talking about guys who have just have, uh, fantasy analysts who are on both sides strongly, stating their opinion over and over and over again. Nobody can agree on these players. So coming at number seven is Nick Chubb. We already talked about him. I think we agree uh, that he is a first-rounder and is going to be good. So let's move on to number six and number five. David Johnson, Kyler Murray. You said you're a big Kyler Murray fan a little bit earlier. Is this Does the preseason struggles, uh, maybe the second game where they couldn't move the ball, does that worry you at all about this offense? Or is this just like a they're not showing their hand they're not. They are not making any adjustments because they're only in for two se- uh, series. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray came in uh, with my regression model super high because his passing stats were basically the same as uh, Baker Mayfield's in the same offense, yeah. and he can run the ball ridiculously well. Do, are you worried about this at all, or do you think this offense is going to hum pretty much start to finish this year? Um, I, I think the the biggest worry by far around Arizona is the quality of the offensive line, which doesn't look a ton better than, you know, than it did last year when it was dreadful. Um, that is by far the biggest worry. And, and to whatever extent they can, they can scheme around it. You know, uh, we, like we think when this offense is, is really rolling, they're going to get the ball out really fast. Um, but it's still obviously a problem. Your, your line can't be a disaster. Your line has to hold up. Um, and the, like there was a point in the, in the run up to the draft where like, I felt like you were, I don't know. People almost treated you as if you were body shaming Kyler Murray if you talked about his size, right? But like, 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 is on the smaller side, and like, I thought his Alabama tape was super impressive. Like, and it's you don't you can't even watch like players against Big Twelve defenses because the Big Twelve just doesn't like. I don't know. There were there wasn't a single Big Twelve cornerback last year who meant who meant anything to the NFL um I I don't know it's just not that talented on defense but you watch him in the Alabama game and that's a great test and I thought he looked great but he was also like ragdoll tackled by a couple of uh Alabama defensive linemen right like he's you get a hand on him and he's going down he's he's not he's not a big guy um but I just think he's a wonderful dual threat talent um and the nice thing about the quarterback position is if like if you're wrong, you're going to be able to find four or five four thousand yard quarterbacks um, on the waiver wire. Like it's it's just it's a filthy deep position. There's like 22 guys that I like, and if I'm wrong about Kyler Murray, I move on. It it doesn't 
it doesn't kill me because I don't have to draft him, you know, in the sixth round, the seventh round. I can still get him in the tenth round. Um, so I, I think he's kind of – I think any quarterback really is kind of a no-risk pick unless you're taking Pat Mahomes in, like, round two or round three. Um, David Johnson is clearly – uh, based on you know what little we've seen in the preseason, what we know about his skill set, what we know about this offense, he's going to catch a bunch of passes, and, and so that gives him a very high floor in any sort of PPR league. Um, the again, the worry there is uh, the quality of the offensive line and and what he's really going to be able to do behind that. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing with that offensive line is whether or not they have to keep running back in to to block, or yeah. do, do they have are they even playing a tight end to to help? Um, so that's. And then that's if, if Johnson's in the block, then he's not going to be able to catch passes. But I don't think that's necessarily going to limit him overall and his overall numbers. It just might be a certain game where they just can't handle uh, a defense and need to shore up the line just so they can get some passes off. We'll see. I, I will say great. I also thought Murray looked great in the in the I think it was against Minnesota that last preseason game. I thought third he was, game, he was yeah. really good. He looked, I think he looked really good in the first game and the third game. I think the second game was the problem. So I don't watch a lot of the preseason unless I'm looking at a specific player. Uh, I find it. Distracting. Anyway, number four uh, most divisive player was Lamar Jackson. Um, and this is, I went to look at his ADP because, you know, I had him, I don't know, QB 14, 15 most of the offseason. And I was high on him. And then, then I realized that I was low on him because now he's like the 10th quarterback off the board. Um, apparently he's looking better as a passer. Uh, so his ADP has risen ninth round. What do you think of that? Like, is it just too deep to take a risk on a guy who has not proven that he can throw the ball, or is his because his floor is really high with all the rushing yards? Well, like, if I, he struggles, I guess I look at it ahead. the other way. I feel like um, the depth of the position means that you can take a you can you can take a flyer on anybody. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter if they like if I'm if I'm able to take Lamar Jackson anywhere between like round eight and round twelve. I don't know where he goes. Um, like, if he busts. I'm I'm just I'm just gonna go into the free agent pool and get either Jameis or Kirk Cousins or Tom Brady or one of the other four thousand yard quarterbacks who is going to be available in a one QB league, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just I don't know that the replacement value is so high that I don't know why you wouldn't take a shot with somebody like you know whatever if you miss out on the very top guys. I don't know why you wouldn't take a shot with Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson or one of these dual threat guys who might be something. Um, I like. One of the, oh, I don't want to credit the wrong person. I think I feel like it was maybe Warren Sharp who has made this point about how just young um, Lamar was last year when he was delivering a season that was yeah had its ups and downs and he wasn't accurate and all that, but 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 he was also like twenty one, um, twenty two years old, and and so he's he's very young, still developing. It'll be interesting to see. We've already talked about how this is going to be the most run-heavy offense by far. He ran the ball 17 times per game um, from the moment he took over last year, which just has no precedent in the modern NFL, and and nothing's close to it. He averaged over 79 rushing yards per week. There were only five running backs who averaged more than 79 rushing yards per week, right? So, like, he doesn't even have to hit that mark, but if he's just at, like, 50 rushing yards per week – Whew, that's that's 800 rushing yards. I don't know. That's gonna that's gonna end up being five or six touchdowns at a minimum, and then um, I don't, I don't know if he averages just 180 passing yards per week and gives you 20 touchdowns there. It looks like they found something with Andrews. With Miles Boykin has looked great. Like maybe they have some receivers that that's gonna make him a top five quarterback, <laughs> right? Like yeah. if he really hits those marks. Um, 
So I, I think Lamar is actually a pretty – he should – like, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a certain type of fantasy owner that is just like, look, if you can't – if I don't trust you as a passer, I'm just not going to draft you. And I guess I would understand some of that to an extent. But, man, Lamar is, is something different entirely. And he may come he may come by his points in an unusual way, and there may be elevated injury risk there because he's going to run the ball so much. But – um, again, if you think the guy is going to run at anywhere near the volume that he did last year, he, he should probably be a, a top eight quarterback on your board. Yeah. His, his minimum points per game, uh, was 15.7. That was his first start against Cincinnati he threw for 150 yards and an interception, but he ran the ball 27 times for 17 yeah. yards. So I, I look at him as a high floor guy, but he also has a pretty high ceiling if he learns how to pass. So now that's it. Learning how to pass is not something that you want to say of an NFL quarterback. <laughs> you don't want to be doing. You don't want to be doing that week week three of the like, second NFL it, season. It would be better if you'd figured that out like your senior year of high school. Um, but if you have to figure it out on the fly in the NFL, uh, at least you're running the ball 15 times per game. All right, number three most divisive player is Antonio Brown. This might have had some of the uh, we don't like him vibe going on um, he's the number nine receiver off the board in the late second round typically free agent receivers who change teams fail to live up to previous production unless they're getting an upgrade in role or an upgrade in quarterback and it doesn't look like brown is getting either though the raiders could pepper him with enough targets to make up for any loss of efficiency we also don't need him to live up to previous production to return value as the number nine receiver yeah. since he's pretty much been the number one receiver for the last five six seven years whatever it's been so what do you think of brown at the two three turn uh helmet gate uh booster gate those seem to be past him what, what do you think about this uh, pick? yeah this is one of those situations where i don't like as i think about brown i don't feel like i'm really down on him and yet um the only shares i have of brown are in leagues that drafted months ago <laughs> you know like i <laughs> throughout this ordeal i do have to admit that i have not um I have not been scooping him up and I've obviously had plenty of opportunities to scoop him up. Um, it is one of the wildest and most interesting off seasons I can recall. I don't like, I don't know that there's a lot of precedent for it. I don't remember a player being involved in, in like, and none of it's, none of it's even bad. It's not like he's out there doing like terrible things, right? It's, the, the controversies attached to Brown are, are kind of amusing. Like, why are, his, mm-hmm. why are his feet shredded? Why did he freeze them? Um, what's his equipment issue? What? Like, uh, like the whole thing has been like kind of fun and, and humorous, except that it's kept him from having reps with his new team and his kind yeah. of sketchy quarterback. And I don't like that. Like, he's great. He's one of the, he's on the very short list of the best receivers uh, that we've ever seen. But the downgrade from Ben to, to Carr is substantial. And, you know, to this point, like the entire rapport between Carr and Brown is like at one Pro Bowl. <laughs> like they've, they barely, like they're not, you know, he's, he's been kept out of enough practices that like that has become a worry for me. So I, I haven't been taking him as a, as a top 10 wide receiver. It's not going to surprise me if he, if he gives us 1200 yards, has a, has a good year that is, you know, 80% of what he might've delivered in, in Pittsburgh, but I don't have a lot of shares. Yeah. The, the thing that could offset this is he gets like 200 targets yeah. or something ridiculous. Like that could offset all the problems that we're looking at. And there is, I mean, they got Tyrell Williams there. we talked about Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs will catch some passes, but in terms of the receiving core, they're just, 
aren't a ton of guys that are going to be pressing for 50, 60 targets like there are with some teams. So we'll see. This is another fascinating, this has really been a fascinating preseason for a number of these teams. And uh, another another one there will be how much Brown, and it's, it also he's kind of a diva. So what happens here, <laughs> you look at, you look at Denver week one, Vic Vangio um, is now the head coach there. Uh, Kansas City week two at Minnesota, at Indianapolis, um, Chicago at home in week five. You know, they might be going into their bye like one and four, oh and five possibly. Like how long does he stick with a losing season um, and really stay engaged? That's that's another thing to, to monitor with, with Antonio Brown. So... The uh, second most divisive player in my poll was Todd Gurley, which is a little bit of a surprise because he was very close to being first. His ADP is 16. Uh, he's going in the early middle second round, uh, early to middle second round. Vincent uh, Bosignori of The Athletic described Gurley as looking, quote, fabulous and healthy, end quote, all summer, uh, but suggested that Darrell Henderson could handle uh, 9 to 12 touches as a per game as a rookie. Uh, the Rams backfield handled 27.4 touches per game last year. So nine to 12 is 33 to 44% of that workload. And that's a lot. Um, Malcolm Brown is also there. And I actually think he's the correct handcuff for right. Gurley. If I you're agree. Looking to back him up. Um, but will Gurley return value? Second round value is the, uh, maybe the 10th, 9th, 10th running back off the board. This is, um, it's going to be a weird answer. Um, but I'm just, I am a huge skeptic. And the whole situation seems super suspicious to me. I feel like there's a big piece of this story that we're that we're just missing. Um, he clearly has some sort of, you know, whatever we've heard. You know, it's an arthritic condition. He, I mean, he pretty clearly has some sort of chronic, ongoing knee condition that somehow didn't require surgery, or he elected to not have like I don't know I don't know what's going on with his health I'm also not like an orthopedic specialist so maybe it wouldn't matter if even if I did um the whole thing is super suspicious to me um I know there's been a lot of sunshine lately from some of the beat guys um they they like he's getting paid he's got a lot of guaranteed money and if I'm the Rams I think I just want to get Todd Gurley to the postseason I think I think my like all we can do is speculate because they're not going to tell us what they're going to do. But but my assumption is they just want to get the best out of him in the biggest weeks. And I, I just can't imagine that they're going to roll out Todd Gurley for 20 touches a game, for 16 touches a game early in the season. That just seems crazy. Um, I doubt they'll do it. I don't. I don't have any of them. And he was, I mean, he was the number one player in fantasy last year and he's brilliant when he's healthy and I don't have anything bad to say about him, but I am super skeptical of this guy's health. I don't think we're hearing anything close to the full story. And that's just, that's just my own conjecture. I'm not basing that on anything. I'm just, I'm just a huge skeptic. Um, I think you were right to say that because um, they've, the team has given Malcolm Brown the preseason treatment that they would give like heavy rotation starters like we just haven't seen him Henderson has played in the preseason Brown has not and I think Brown is is probably the immediate understudy and Henderson has a role and he's a really fun player but I think we're probably we've probably overdrafted Henderson a little bit because I mean I've seen him go like round four round five um at least a little while ago and I, I'm not sure he's going to have that kind of role but I'm I can't, I can't pull the trigger on Todd Gurley in the top 20. How many touches do you think Gurley will have week one? 
Um, it, it's not going to surprise me if Todd Gurley touches the ball 10 times in week one. It would shock me if he touches the ball 25 times. Shock. Like, whatever. I'll just be wrong. I don't know. It's fantasy football. I'm wrong all the time, right? Like, <laughs> but um, it, I'm just going to, I'm going to be stunned if Todd Gurley is a consistent, like, 20 touch a game guy after they couldn't use him, basically, in the, in the biggest games of, in the history of the franchise. Like, I'm just, yeah. it's going to shock me. The only thing I would point out is he did average 26.2 points per game last year. Uh, they've been talking about, 65% of the touches, you know, giving 35, 40% of the touches to the other two running backs there. Um, if he, if his production, which you, you have to expect, you know, the same points per touch, which is a big assumption, but let's just do it for a second. Um, and he has two thirds of the touches. We're down to about 17, 18 fantasy points per game. That's what Joe Mixon averaged uh, as last year's number 10 running back. So, it's I honestly it's gonna shock me if he plays sixteen games too. Um I yeah. guess I guess I would set the over under for games played at like, I don't know, twelve and a half. Um I don't I don't know why they would risk him in uh, a lot of like for, in a high volume role in September and October because you gotta you gotta pay this guy. Like you gotta pay this guy and he clearly has some sort of chronic issue. I don't know. I like I hope I'm wrong because Todd Gurley has been really fun to watch. Um and, yeah. and, was an incredible college player just delivered a phenomenal professional season. And I really love watching him. Um, There's just, I feel like we don't know 90% of this story. And when it's a situation like that and there's a big injury involved, I'm just, I'm, I I end up being out. Yeah. And the only reason I was trying to like wax poetic about it was because I do have him in my keeper league. I had to keep him. It was no cost to me for me keeping him. So I was basically keeping him for a fourth rounder and, I didn't really have anybody else competing for that spot. And the one thing I would say is if you are going to draft Gurley, draft Malcolm Brown very cheaply at the end of your draft because he should be covered. Um, I think that's weird. Like, nobody's fighting you for Malcolm Brown. No. Well, everybody th- – I mean, I think the general, you know, the casual fan it, thinks it's Daryl Henderson um, is the is really the handcuff. When I think Henderson's role probably stays pretty consistent throughout the year. Depending, I mean, he probably grows a little bit as the year goes on as he gets more comfortable running the ball. But um, his, his receiving – role probably stays pretty consistent. Um, and I would mention also mention that I'm kind of an idiot because I didn't pick up Malcolm Brown in my um, keeper, in my keeper <laughs> league. I, instead, I think I drafted C.J. Anderson because I think uh, he's a good handcuff for – or a good uh, attrition play in Detroit there with Kerry and Johnson. Anyway, I don't, don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> um, the most divisive player, and I'm guessing you can probably guess who it is because I teased it, Earlier, uh, according to my super scientific Twitter poll, is Damian Williams. I'm gobbling up lots of Damian Williams around the 2-3 turn. I will take him sometimes in the middle of the second round, especially after he catches 61-yard touchdown passes in the preseason. And uh, Carlos Hyde is getting pushed down the depth chart. Anyway, here's why. He's good. He's a good player. And he's playing in a fantastic offense. He's 222 pounds, 4.45 speed. He averaged 19.4 touches for 114 yards, 1.6 touchdowns in five games, uh, including the postseason. That's 23.4 points per game in half PPR formats. That's outstanding production. He averaged 5.6 yards per carry in that span and showed dual threat ability, which we already knew he had because he was, was mostly a receiver in Miami. The key for me here is he played well enough to earn a two-year extension from the Chiefs. They saw what they had, uh, and they decided to lock him up. The naysayers say he wasn't a bell cow in college. 
uh, since he didn't surpass 1,500 total rushing yards at Oklahoma in two seasons. But they're forgetting that he was dismissed from the team after nine games as a senior, so he would have eclipsed the 1,500-yard mark had he stayed on the team. Uh, but they're also forgetting about the 259-yard carry, 1,931-yard, 26-touchdown season he had as a JUCO sophomore at Arizona Western. He went, if you count his JUCO yardage, he went over 4,000 yards in college. So don't talk to me about his yardage in college, please. <laughs> he was the backup uh, for Adam Gase in Miami, who apparently knows everything about how to handle running backs. Uh, so therefore, he's destined to lose the job in KC. I don't get it. Um, the anti-Damian folks are super fired up about Darwin Thompson, who has has some impressive touches in the preseason, but he's running third right now behind uh, Damian Williams, Daryl Williams, and oh, just third behind those two. Yeah. Um, and he looks like he'll be a nice change of pace back, Thompson does. Um, I'm not disputing that. I just don't think he's going to press Williams for touches, and I don't think t- Williams needs to be a 25, 22, 25 touch type player to return value. I have him going... Uh, as the number 12 running back in PPR format, so I think he has top five upside. Andy, am I crazy, or are you on yeah, board? I'm, I'm afraid we're not going to be too divided here, and I think I, I think the point that you just made is a critical one, because in that, in that four-game binge at the end of last season, when he was an absolute league winner, and I was lucky enough to have him in a couple places, um, it, it's not like that was happening because he was touching the ball 25 times a game. Um, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the touch totals now, and it was uh, it was it was 12, 16. Then there's a 20, and then there's another 12 touch game. But but it's Kansas City, and they're averaging 35 points a game, and he's scoring a touchdown or two every week. Um, and so like I feel like that sort of volume is um is pretty close to the floor um and and you're right it's it's the other williams it's not darwin thompson who's playing immediately behind him right now so even in a scenario where this is some kind of two or three headed committee um i I think damian williams is getting the exact same workload that he had last december and he converted that into at least a, a touchdown every game and I, I don't see any reason why with, you know, sort of the, the full uh, firepower, they're running it back with, uh, you know, Hill is there, Kelsey's there, Williams is there. Like, everybody's there. Uh, we got a healthy Watkins right now. Like, this is, again, going to be a 30-point-per-game offense. And we're talking about a player who's going to see 15-plus touches per game. That, I mean, he, you don't have to think of him on the same level as, like, a healthy Gurley or McCaffrey or Saquon or whatever, like he's going to make a lot of noise. And if you don't think that's a viable pick at the, at, toward the end of round two or round three, um, I mean, this guy's going to score double digit touchdowns. If he, if he stays healthy, he was a huge winner this off season because all they, all they did was draft a back in like the sixth round and they went out and got, you know, Carlos Hyde. And that that's a ringing endorsement of Damian Williams. They like him. Um, at, you know, the, of course, the upside here is that he actually does become like maybe what we saw in the in the postseason last year, where he is seeing twenty plus touches a game. But he doesn't need to be that guy um, to deliver on this draft price. Yeah, and this is why I love picking in the top three. It would be four if Zeke was signed, but you can get yourself a, a number one running back. Uh, you know, McCaffrey or Barkley, Kamara or, or Zeke, if he were signed. And then in the second round, maybe you're taking uh, Williams or you're taking uh, George Kittle, and then you come back in the early third and take the other one, or you take Zach Ertz, who's slipping into the early here's, third. Here's so just, just an interesting thing I'll throw out there, not that you not that you asked, but like 
one one thing that we have at Yahoo is is at this point we have you know a couple decades of draft data, um, and drafts are just not fair. And over a long period of time, it's it's not necessarily this way in any given year, but over a long period of time, one thing that we we pretty much know in fantasy football, you want to have a top four pick. Um, mm-hmm. I I hear from people all the time, experts included, who are like, yeah, I love picking near the turn. I love you know I love the eighth pick, whatever. Everybody's got their favorite spot. Um, historically, your your odds of a podium finish or a a league winning finish are much better if you have a top four draft pick. They just are. You heard it here. I have one more question for you, and this one's gonna maybe surprise you a little bit. Maybe maybe I don't know. I don't know how you're gonna answer this. <laughs> is Mitch Trubisky as a Bears fan? Is Mitch, Mitch Trubisky a bad quarterback or a mediocre quarterback? Oh, um, that's a that's a fun question. <laughs> Um, I, I think I think the rushing talent elevates him to mediocre. Um, from like he just I, I mean his his finish in the Eagles game right like his fourth quarter in the in the postseason loss to the Eagles where he set up the field goal that was missed and all that he was he was really good. But so far all we've seen from Mitch Trubisky is that when the first read is there um, and, and he has you know and he's got time to throw. He, he can be a really good quarterback, but that's, that's a lot of guys. Um, the, the problem is, and I, I was talking to, I was talking to Chris Harris not that long ago, and I sort of made this sort of random comparison that I, I since have really come to like, like when the first read is locked down and Mitch has to either, you know, improvise or work through his progressions, he starts to look like your dog when you come home from being away for like an hour or so. And like he spins around and he yaps a little bit and he runs in the kitchen and he gets his favorite toy and then maybe he pees on the floor and like, like some bad stuff is going down when the first read is taken. And Mitch has to, Mitch has to get better at that. Like that's all of, that's the whole of quarterbacking in the NFL is, is um, you, you know, what happens when the first option doesn't exist for you. Um, he's, you know, he's got some rushing talent, so that, that makes him kind of an intriguing player. The other thing I'll say, just like your dog, he's super likable. Like, he's, he's, like you know, this, he was not my pick. Um, it, I was a huge Deshaun Watson guy coming out of, uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, but I, I get no credit for that. He was on TV all the time, Clemson quarterback, national title winner. I get no credit for it, but I, that's who I wanted the Bears to get. Um, I, I will say Trubisky is incredibly likable, um, and, and I think, you know, pretty charismatic, and he's all in on the Bears, and Nagy likes him, and, like, really easy guy to root for. Um, I think at best he is currently a mediocre NFL quarterback. What I am hoping, I, man, I'm just filibustering on Trubisky. I'm sorry, but like the the Bears' um, single season passing yardage record is such a joke. It's like 3,800 yards. Um, <laughs> Eric Kramer holds the Bears' single season passing yardage record. This is a hundred year old franchise. Like it's nothing in 2019 for like if you told me that. 15 quarterbacks are going to throw for 4,000 yards. Sure. Like that happens like 10 guys throw for 4,000 yards um, in any given season. The bears have never had one of those. So I do hope that Mitch owns that record by the end of the year. It's, it's just shameful. That, that was an amazing answer. Cause I really, I, I put that, pose that question to you just to get you angry. Cause you're like, <laughs> why isn't good quarterback an option? And I wasn't expecting a serious answer. And you gave me 10 minutes 
Well, because I think about it all the time. <laughs> like, like, I'm embarrassed by how much I think about Mitch Trubisky and where he might go. Well, okay, I have two points to make then since we're doing it serious. He had 12 points, 12.1 points or less in five of his final seven games last year. He was so inconsistent. So he terrifies me. And that also makes me worry about Allen Robinson a little bit, like his week-to-week production. I like Allen Robinson. Yeah. I wish he had a good quarterback to throw to him. <laughs> but then you got me going on the career passing you know, numbers for the Bears, and I went back, back to look at Jim McMahon. <laughs> his best season, his best season throwing the ball, uh, he completed 50, uh, 57% of the passes for 2,392 yards, 15 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. That was 85. So that was, what, was that the Super Bowl year? Yeah. As a pro, he was selected to the Pro Bowl that year with those numbers. He's, a, he's like a, is he a glorified Trent Dilfer? I'm not even sure he's a glorified <laughs> Trent Dilfer. Well, I mean, this is why, um, like, people today, maybe you look at the numbers that Dan Marino was putting up in the 80s and they don't even look special to you, right? Because now there's a quarterback every year who does stuff like that. Most quarterbacks were were much more like Jim McMahon in the eighties, right? Like the numbers just weren't gaudy for anybody. Um, and yeah, then Aikman. and then all of a sudden yeah. Dan Marino came around and like he was like a, he he was totally out of time. He was like a visitor from another world. I truly believe that Dan Marino today might throw for 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns, right? Like, nobody nobody was doing that stuff in the 80s. So, like, yeah. Um, it, it, but it's true that for most of the Bears' history, obviously, there haven't been gaudy passing numbers, but it, it is still just – it's it's just hilarious and embarrassing that, that nobody's ever thrown for 4,000 yards in a Bears uniform. Well, it's funny looking at McMahon's seasons. Like, did they – was it a 16-game season back in the 80s, 82 to 88? Oh, yeah. Um, He's play, he played seven. He had seven starts in '82: 13, 9, 11, 6, 6, 9, and 11. He's, a, he's also a guy who put himself at risk of injury all the time. Um, was injured all the time, <laughs> and it was it was such a like you could do anything to quarterbacks and receivers uh, at, at certain points in NFL history too. So like you could hit a guy, you know, two seconds after the ball was away and throw him to the ground, and it, you know, it'd be a coin flip as to whether there would be a, a penalty. It's it's just an entirely different time. Um, so like those those numbers make sense as '80s numbers. He was people loved him, super charismatic. Um, and, and might still be the greatest quarterback in Bears history, despite the numbers not really reflecting it. Well, they won the Super Bowl, yeah. And he, he did not surpass, he did not average more than 200 yards passing, except for one season in Chicago, 1987. That's crazy. I mean, you also had the, you know, in, in my, the greatest running back that I have ever personally Walter seen Payton, yeah. um, as the cornerstone of the team, yeah. All right, so you were not expecting, listeners were not expecting, 10 minutes on Mitch Trubisky <laughs> and 15 minutes on Jim McMahon. I'll give you more if you want. Like I've got, oh, I've got I think we're good. I think we're good. <laughs> we're good. Hand, hand is up. We're good. Uh, but that's why you're a future uh, Hall of Famer, Andy. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. You can find Andy's work at Yahoo Fantasy. And be sure to follow him on Twitter at Andy Behrens, uh, B-E-H-R-E-N-S. I'm almost caught up to him in followers. I'm about 10,000 behind, so there's no reason I should be passing oh, him. Make sure you follow Andy. He's an excellent follow. Um, and I'll be back for another pod this week, or to, uh, actually this week on Friday, with Christopher Harris, who Andy knows is friends with Christopher Harris of Harris Football. We're going to do a, a Friday pod to get you ready for your uh, weekend of drafting. So we'll see you then. The very many smiles of old.
Now the 